0: For many years, she had trouble sleeping because she worried that a burglar may break in during the night. One night, as she was trying to fall asleep, she, she heard a noise downstairs, and so she woke up her husband, and he said, you know, go check that out, go, go investigate it to, to see what's going on. So he begrudgingly, you know, got out of bed and went down and looked around, and to his surprise, he found a burglar. And do you know what he said to him? He said, good evening. I'm glad to see you. The burglar was a little bit confused and a little caught off guard. And he said, why would not you come with me upstairs and meet my wife? She's been waiting 10 years to meet you. <laughs> we all worry and stress to some degree, whether it's the weather or work or family or bills or maybe an upcoming test. And it's okay to be concerned, you know, about the safety of ourselves and our family. But I think all of us can agree that being overly concerned and overly anxious about our, about our situations is not healthy and it can ruin our joy. God's word reminds us in Proverbs 12, um, 25, and it says, An anxious heart weighs a man down. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Solomon points out that anxious thoughts, fearful You know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, a possible outcome that may happen or not can cause someone to feel heavy, a weight on their shoulders, feeling like there's no escape. You're just hopeless about your situations. But God's Word also says in Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Solomon points out that When we're calm, quiet, and not disturbed, we are, in fact, actually strong. It gives life to the body. We're not depleted during hard situations in life. And we can deal with our circumstances with a sound mind, making wise decisions rather than making a decision out of emotion. I'm sure you've seen this graphic before. And it kind of goes something like this, you know, there are so many things that I'm worried about. There are things that, you know, possibly can happen, but the things that do happen are pretty small in comparison. Research indicates that 80% of people handled their situations far better than they thought they would. Today, we're speaking about overcoming stress overcoming stress. Hard times come, but they don't have to ruin us or take away our joy and our happiness. We overcome stress by accepting that we can't control everything. But what we can control is how we respond and whom we put our trust in. What we can control is how we respond in whom we put our trust in. And so what is stress? Well, stress is kind of like a rocking chair. If you ever sat in a rocking chair, you know, you're kind of lots of emotion, you know, energy, you're kind of going back and forth, and you're not making any progress. You're staying in one spot. You know, stress is feeling overwhelmed, agitated, unable to cope with the pressures of life. Stress is the opposite of Peace. Stress is the opposite of peace. Not swayed during life's ups and downs, but peace is a calm and composed state of mind. Peace is like a teeter-totter. Stress pushing down on one side, but on the other side, peace is the calming presence to help balance our emotions. Peace helps to calm and balance our emotions. I learned this this week. The, the word stressed, spelt backwards, is desserts. The word "stress" spelled backwards, is, dessert, is desserts. And if we're being honest, eating desserts when we're stressed is, not an unhealth, is an unhealthy way to deal with it. You know, it's quick and easy at our disposal, but it's not sustainable. And so today we're looking at a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he had every right to be stressed. He was poorly mistreated, he was beaten, he was bitten by a snake, he was thrown in prison, and people just didn't really like him. Yet despite his difficult situations, both his example and his teaching shows us how to appropriately respond to stress. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians, and we're looking in uh, chapter 4, verses 4 to verses 8. This is what God's word says and what Peter says to the Christians living in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... Paul conveys that we overcome stress by what we focus on. And he offers this solution, which is our first point, and it's this. Focus on God rather than the problem. Focus on God rather than the problem. Too often, I become stressed and overwhelmed by trying to take control of the situation too often I become more stressed and overwhelmed when I'm trying to take control of the situation, when I'm trying to fix the problem and hold on to things rather than releasing them to God and trusting Him for the solution. It's kind of like Peter. When Peter began to sink in the water, when he focused on the problem, the wind and the waves, rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus in Matthew chapter 14. And scripture says that Peter was actually afraid. He was nervous. He was stressed. He he was overwhelmed by what was going on around him. And when he focused on the problem, he began to sink, and he yelled, Lord, save me! And thankfully, the Lord did that. Jesus told Peter to come into the storm, He said, come, come to me. And this teaches us that Jesus won't calm every storm, but he can calm us. Jesus won't calm every storm. Where was Jesus? Right in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the stress or the thing that he was overwhelmed about. But it teaches us that Jesus can calm us when we keep our eyes on him. We can experience peace during our problems if we trust the Lord and keep our eyes on Him rather than focusing on the problem around us. The storms of life are a good reason to be afraid and stressed, but Jesus is bigger than our problems, and we can trust Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The reason we need to focus on God instead of our problems is because, in contrast, our problems are pretty small compared to the greatness of who God is. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Is there anything too big, too hard for our God? No doubt the Philippians were stressed and anxious. We know in chapter 1 that they were concerned for Paul's safety while he was in prison. And chapter 1, verse 30, records that they were going through the same struggle that the apostle Paul had. They were experiencing suffering and persecution for associating with Jesus. Yet in the midst of their problems, Paul is not inconsiderate of their feelings, but he tells them to do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not. This is not a possibility. Don't be anxious. It comes from the Greek word miramino, which means to go to pieces, to be pulled apart. It's used in the negative. Paul indicates that they need to stop what they are habitually doing, They need to stop what they're habitually doing. They are overly concerned. They are overly distressed. They are anxious, which is robbing them of joy and happiness. And it's also indicating that there probably is a lack of trust in God to provide a solution to their problem. And so instead of being anxious, Paul provides the solution. He says, shift your focus. And he says this, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, shift your focus off of your problems and onto God. And he says, in everything, which signifies whatever we face, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stressors in our life, our first response is to do it with prayer. We take it to the Lord. It signifies communicating and taking it to the Lord rather than our first response is to, you know, complain and criticize, you know, our situations to our friends. No, the first response is to take it to the Lord in prayer. And it says, with petition, which indicates a real urgency for the Lord to meet a need. We are expressing hope that God can do something with our situations. And Paul says, to present your requests to the Lord. It means to naming specific areas that we need God's help, being specific with Him. And Paul is not implying that God doesn't know what we need. What Paul is actually saying is that when we present our request to the Lord, we are acknowledging that we need God. We are verbally acknowledging that we need the Lord and our dependence upon him. You see, prayer and petition and presenting our request to the Lord is really about self-disclosure. It's about being humble. I need the Lord. And when we pray, we're shifting our focus off of our problems. And he says, we do this to God. This preposition of to indicates a movement, a movement towards God, that God is able to do something. Now, it does need to be mentioned that when we present our requests to God, we don't tell God what to do. We don't tell God what to do. I don't know what's best. God does. God's in control. He's outside of time. He can see past, present, and future. Yet God also invites me still to present my request to him, to communicate with him, to share with him. Isaiah 55 talks about his ways and his thoughts are higher than our own. God sees things from an entirely different perspective. And Paul conveys there's a reason why we don't need to be anxious. The reason why we don't need to be anxious is because we can go to the Lord in prayer. The reason why we don't need to be anxious is because we can go to the Lord in prayer and trust him that he's bigger than our problem. We can release our concerns to God through prayer and trust his ability and character. And this is the point. Who we turn to first reveals the level of trust we have with God. Who we turn to first reveals the level of trust that we have with God. Ephesians 3:20 reminds us of this: "Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, think or imagine. Now to him who is able, to him who is able. Recently, I was stressed about a situation. In fact, it was robbing me of joy and peace. Through wise counsel, I was challenged to do this. They said, Give to God anything that needs to be forgiven, that is stopping the Lord's work in and through you. Give to God anything that needs to be forgiven that is stopping the Lord's work in and through you. It was a hard pill to swallow. I obeyed. I trusted their wise counsel. I forgave the person that I was upset with, and I released and presented my concerns to God. When I did, I began to experience God's peace. The situation didn't change, but my attitude did. The situation didn't change, but my attitude towards the situation drastically changed to see things from a different perspective. The major issue was my attitude, and it was hindering the Lord's work in and through me this week initially to prepare the message today. It was hindering me from sharing and preaching today. You see, God needed to make it true in my life first before I encourage you to focus on God. God needed to make it true in my life first before I encourage you to focus on God. I needed to pray. I needed to focus on God. I needed to trust God that he was bigger than the stress in my life rather than focusing on it and trying to take control. It wasn't until I forgave and surrendered control and my concerns over the situations that I was able to move forward. Scripture reminds us why we focus on God. Pastor Karen actually prayed about it. She said, and God's word says, cast all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why do we focus on God? Because he cares for you. God takes a special interest in your life. He cares about the big things going on, the little things. He cares about you. And he invites us to focus on and to cast, you know, kind of like a fishing analogy, to just release it, to let it go into God's hands. Focusing on and trusting God doesn't mean that we'll have a stress-free life. I do need to make that clear. Focusing on and trusting God doesn't mean that we'll have a stress-free life. But it does mean this. It means that a life without Jesus makes handling our stress an impossible task. A life without Jesus makes handling our stress and our problems an impossible task. And so at some point, we have to ask ourselves, here it is, do I trust God more than I trust my own understanding? Do I trust God more than I trust my own understanding? So where's our focus? Where are we looking at? What we focus on becomes big in our life. Isaiah 26.3 reminds us that you, the Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts and minds and eyes are focused on you. Continual and ongoing focus on the problem brings big stress. Continual and ongoing focus on God brings big peace. Big peace. And so, what are you focusing on lately? Is there a challenge that maybe has brought some stress into your life? If so, maybe we need to shift our focus off of the problem and onto God. When we panic, we pray. When we worry, we worship. If you want to overcome stress, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Cory ten Boom said it very well when she said, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Our second point is this focus on uplifting words rather than negative. Focus on uplifting words rather than negative. Our words have power. They impact others, but they also impact us. And this point is really about being intentional with the words that we speak. It's easy to speak positive when things are going well, but when they're not, Our words are typically not healthy. They're typically critical, degrading, and negative. And Jesus made this startling statement when he said, it's not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. It's not what comes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what we speak and what we say. This is what defiles and destroys someone. The point is, words are an expression of what is in our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we constantly use negative, harsh, hopeless words, it's indicating that a heart is unhealthy and it needs to be purified and refocused by God's power. In the midst of stress, Notice what Paul says the Philippians should be doing. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. This word rejoice comes from the Greek word kareo, which means to be glad, to celebrate God's goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness, what He has done for us. Even when I don't see it, I know he's working. Even when I don't feel it, I know that he's working. I'm gonna sing over top of I'm gonna speak well of the Lord over top of my situations and my problems because God is faithful. He is a way maker and there's nothing impossible with our God. And Paul says in the Lord always, always indicates the object of our of our rejoicing is towards God. Paul is not saying, cheer up, Philippians. He's not saying that. He's not saying, come on, he's not kicking them in the button, trying, you know, get going, rejoice in the Lord. No. What he is saying is that we overcome stress when we shift our words onto praising God rather than complaining about our situations. We overcome stress when we choose to speak well of God, to rejoice in the Lord, rather than just complain and focus on about our situations. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. And we sang it earlier, but he's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. My God, that is who you are. Paul repeats the command again. He says, I will say it again rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. In case there are those who reject that rejoicing in hard times is inappropriate. He's saying this in case there are those that, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, he says, I'll say it again, just in case you doubt me or you don't think that this is the right response. He says, rejoice. Because in fact, in hard times, that is the most appropriate Appropriate time to rejoice in the Lord. That is the most appropriate time to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul can say this because he has experienced it. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his friend Silas were in prison. They were bruised, they were in significant pain, they were humiliated. Yet in the midst of severe suffering, they chose to rejoice in the Lord. And Scripture says that as they were speaking well of God, as they were singing and praising and praying God, Scripture says that the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening to see how Paul and Silas, followers of Jesus, would respond. What would they be saying in the midst of their situation? Their listening implied that Paul and Silas' words had an impact on everyone around them. What they were saying had an impact on those around them. Thankfully, Paul and, Ch- Paul and Silas chose to speak well of God, of his goodness in the presence of unbelievers. And if you know more of the story, because of that, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ, because how they chose to respond and to speak well of God. What impact would it have had if Paul and Silas were negative, critical, and complaining to God? God did miraculously save them, but it's important to note that they were not praying and singing after the miracle, but they worshiped God before he intervened. They were worshiping and praising and speaking will of God before God miraculously intervened. And that's the point. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a reward that we give God based upon what He does for us. It gives honor to God for who He is and continues regardless of the situations. Rejoicing in the Lord is not a reward that we give God. Thank you, God. Now I'm going to praise you because of what you did for me. No. Rejoicing in the Lord gives honor to God for who he is. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to receive it. And it continues regardless of our situations and what's happening. And so why is it important to speak uplifting words, especially in times of stress? Because far too often our hearts become hardened. Hardened toward God, we begin to question him. God, why are you allowing this to happen? I could probably do a better job at this. Why did I even trust you? You led me into this situation, and you see what's happening? And that's why Paul says to shift our focus, especially in prayer, by doing it from an attitude with thanksgiving. When we pray and when we present our request to the Lord, we're doing it through an attitude speaking well of God through thanksgiving. Instead of focusing on what I don't have or stressing about what could be, focus on what you're thankful for. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. When we go to God in prayer with an attitude of gratitude, it shifts the focus off of stress, and we remember God's faithfulness. He's been faithful in the past. I believe he'll be faithful in the present. And because he's been faithful in the past and the present, I believe it to be true about the future. Because when we go to God without thanksgiving and prayer, it merely becomes complaining to God, just negative words, rather than uplifting and thanking Him for what He has done. One time, my dad's grandfather went through a really intense time of physical and emotional pain. He had kidney stones, and his wife was suffering with Alzheimer's. He said to my dad, he said, Stephen, I don't know why God is allowing this to happen. I don't know why God is allowing this to happen. But I want you to know that I'm not angry with God, and someday I'll understand. I'm not angry with God, but someday I'll understand. What he said and how he reacted during, during ter- ter- uh, terrible circumstances speaks about his character and his faith in God. But the point is this. My dad said, when he was reflecting on what his grandfather said about the Lord in that situation, this is what my dad said. I was deeply impacted by the faith of my grandfather. It was one of the most impactful moments of my life, seeing how he chose to speak positively of God in the midst of deep pain and deep suffering. And so how do we apply this to our life? Well, scripture talks about in Hebrews 13:15, continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. Continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. We all understand it's easy to praise God during good times. This worship honors God for who he is, but if we're being honest, it doesn't require a sacrifice to praise God during good times. But other times when God doesn't meet our expectations, it seems as though he's far away, and it seems as though God doesn't care, the last thing that we want to do is to rejoice in the Lord. That's the last thing that we want to do. But if we want to overcome stress, focus on worshiping God for who he is, God is good and he is worthy of our praise. Focus on worshiping God for who he is because that kind of worship in hard times requires a sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise. That even though God is not coming through how I think he should or what I thought he would do, I'm gonna trust that the Lord is still good and he's still worthy of my praise. And so let's choose to speak uplifting words, positive of God and in our situations, because it helps us to see the whole truth. It helps us to see things from a different perspective, that God is still working, not just the negative aspects in our life. Psalm 1914, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Our third and final point is this. Focus on wholesome thinking rather than stinking thinking. Focus on wholesome thinking rather than stinking thinking. What we focus on expands. What we focus on expands. The more that we think about stress, the more that it grows and becomes to embrace us. But if we want to overcome stress, if we want to have a peace of mind, then we need to change what we think about and also what we allow into our mind. And Paul highlights eight areas that the Philippians should think about. He says, think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. These eight attributes implies a deliberate turning away from what is vulgar, what is dishonorable, what is corruptible, what is unhealthy, what is evil to our thought life. And instead, think about what is holy, pleasing, kind, helpful towards others. When Paul says the word think, it comes from the Greek word logidzamo, which means to really consider, to really take this into account. And he's saying the command to think is more than just study, but it's really, how will the opposite impact me? How will the opposite of what is true and noble and right, what is untrue, what is you know not spoken well of, what is wrong, what is impure, how will those things impact me? How will those things, if I think about them, impact me? And so before I listen, before I watch something, I put it through this filter. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? If not, then I probably shouldn't be watching it because it's gonna corrupt our mind. I heard this quote this week, and I guess it comes from the older generation, um, from my father, and he, he said this, he, he said this phrase, he said, you can't stop a crow from flying over your head but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. I had no idea what that meant, so Dad, help me understand what that means. And he said this, You can't stop every negative thought from coming, but you can stop from dwelling on it. You can't stop every negative thought from coming, but you can stop from dwelling on it. Remember, the Philippians were experiencing opposition and suffering. And Paul's challenge to focus on wholesome thinking indicates his desire to appreciate all that is good around them. Appreciate all that is good around them. And this echoes a similar challenge that Paul made to the Christians in Corinth when he said, "'Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ.'" You see, it can become so easy to dwell on and to think about what is wrong in this world, what is so pessimistic, you know, the sin that so easily entangles us. And in the process, we miss out on what is good. Because we're thinking about what is so wrong, rather than thinking about what is good. And so in this moment, what can we think about that is good? What can we think about that is praiseworthy? What can we think about that is excellent? Have you ever noticed that when you buy a new car, you begin to see that car everywhere that you look? The same is true when you start looking for the good. It's everywhere to be seen. But the opposite is true, too. If you're looking for the negative, the critical, the unhealthy, you'll find it. And so how do we shift our thinking? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Negative and unhealthy thinking is really a result of sin in this world. This world would rather dwell on and think about putting other people down rather than building other people up. And when Paul says to be transformed in your thinking, it means a radical change, a radical reorientation. The word transformed actually comes from our English word metamorphosis, which means it is, you know, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a process of learning to think differently by asking the Holy Spirit to change our thinking. It's about surrendering our mind. Jesus. Surrendering ourself to Jesus. And so if you want to overcome stress, what have you been thinking about lately? What have you been thinking about la- lately? Has the majority of your thoughts been positive, helpful, uplifting, praiseworthy? Or has it more been negative, critical of gas inflation? What is wrong in this world? We overcome stinking thinking by surrounding ourselves with positive people. As iron sharpens iron, so another person sharpens another. Reading God's word, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. And remembering God's faithfulness. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. And so to recap, what have we been talking about? Focus on God rather than the problem. Keep your eyes on and pursue God by releasing your concerns to him through prayer. Our second point was focus on uplifting words rather than negative Intentionally praise God in the midst of your situations and you'll notice that your attitude will begin to shift. And our third point, focus on wholesome thinking rather than stinking thinking. So what can we thank God for and surround ourselves with? If we apply these points, if we present our request to the Lord in prayer, there's a promise. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's assurance. It's confidence. It's being undisturbed. God's peace. And so focus on God. Choose uplifting words, wholesome thinking, and you'll notice that your attitude and your shift and behavior will begin to change, become more like Jesus. We're about to watch a quick testimony, and then the worship team is going to come. But I want you to take a listen to a time in my wife's life when she was really stressed about a situation and how God actually used that experience to bring peace to her life.
1: Check this out. I was once in a situation that um, caused me a lot of stress. I needed to make a really big decision and the decision was weighing heavy on me, Um, not only how it would affect my life, but how it would affect the people that I love. I prayed to God and asked him to help with the decision. I asked for guidance and I didn't get the answers in the way that I wanted to or expected to. And I honestly just felt lost. I, I didn't know what to do and I had a time limit coming up and I was getting more and more stressed by the day. Through my stress, I began to try to take control. I was thinking of all of the little details. I was um, writing down hypothetical situations, situations that could happen or honestly could not happen. And the more and more I tried to take control, the more stressed I was becoming. It was taking over my entire life. I got to the point where when I prayed, I didn't even know what to say. I just would weep and say, God, I don't know what to do. I, I need your help and that's all I could get out. And after doing that more than once, I was finally able to get the, to the point where I just thought, you know, I have to let go of these details. I can't control every little thing and God is a God of details. He'll take care of the rest. When I was able to focus on God's will for my life, I was able to finally let go of the stress and experience God's peace in honestly a way that I don't think I've ever experienced before. I was smiling instantly and just felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I even had somebody tell me, like, you're a different person. And and that's not me. That's that's God. That's something that only God's peace, that God's peace can do. And that's something that I'm really thankful.